Amen. How's everyone doing this morning? We alive? Are we awake? Yeah, good. You know, I actually it was funny when Jess was uh, mentioning about Genesis. I've recently been listening to an audio book um, by a guy named Dr. Bill Creasy, and he's teaching all the way through Genesis. I think I've been listening to already like eight or nine hours of Genesis, and uh, when I drive and such, and it, it's phenomenal. Like I, I, I've always, I, I mean, how can you not love Genesis? But um, there is, there's so much to learn. Um, out of every book in the Word. So I, I also found it really, again, it's just the way the Lord is moving, the way the Holy Spirit's moving this morning, the way that, that things that were, were being prayed downstairs before we came up, uh, and, then, and then the song choices that, that Chris was praying about, and, and the way that it, it aligned there with Hebrews. And even then when Jess went and read from Hebrews 13, 7, I, almost, I had to chuckle because uh, it, at the end there it talks about uh, strange, where she read about strange teachings and, and being on guard against that. Do not be carried away. And then not, and it says uh, in, my, in the NIV, not by eating ceremonial foods. And I thought, well, that's an interesting tie-in because we're in Matthew 15 this morning and, and it's all about this, this confrontation again that Jesus has around food laws, which, you know, I, th- I think sometimes we go like, what's, what? Like, we don't, we don't really get it. I don't, I don't know that we really understand or grasp the depth of what was going on with food laws because we just, we, we don't swim in that at all, right? We don't, we don't swim in any waters about food laws now. We just, we're Gentiles. We like, we eat our hearts out. Um, but but it's a, it is a big deal because it's, it's, it's getting to something um, beyond that. And that's where we're going to go this morning. It's, it's not about the food laws and it, it wasn't, Ultimately, about the food laws for Jesus either, um, which I, I think we'll see as we get into this chapter. So I, I want to I start off with a couple of questions, though, and it relates to this. Maybe this is where we make it a little bit relevant. How, how do we feel about, uh, and this is funny because Jake's wearing one, how do, how do we feel about ball caps in church? How, how do you, any, any of you get bugged by like if someone shows up wearing a flat hat in church? If a youth shows up wearing a flat hat in church, is that like, does that, does that ever get you, like, kind of bugs, bugs maybe some people? Because over the years I've heard comments, I've actually heard comments about that. Or, or how about, how, how do we feel about, uh, how do we feel about tattoos? How do we feel about Christians getting tattoos? How, how do we feel about pastors getting tattoos? So that, that kind of, is that, is that, that one step too far over the line? See, the, I ask this because we, we've, we've got... We have traditions in the church that we can feel very strongly about, very strongly about. There's people that feel very strongly about ball caps in church, very strongly. I don't. Go crazy. Um, but but it, it, it relates to this because this is exactly sort of in a way what Jesus was dealing with here. And, and, and Matthew 15, it sees Pharisees, uh, religious leaders, that come from Jerusalem, which that should also perk our attention, that they're being sent from Jerusalem. This is a delegation coming from Jerusalem. This is getting serious. This is, this is big time now. There, there, there's, there's another, this has gone to another level with Jesus because the official delegation has come. And, and they're confronting Jesus uh, about his disciples not washing their hands before eating. And some of you might go, oh yeah, that's a good idea. Like, like how many of you have ever scolded your kids because they come to the table and their hands aren't washed? <laughs> See? Now, but that's not what this is. That's not, this, this was not about cleanliness. This was not about cleanliness being next to godliness. It wasn't, about, it, well, it was but it wasn't about your hands being cleaned. It was about ceremonial cleansing. That, that there, was this, there was a whole system where you poured the water, how you washed your hands, right? I, actually, um, Muslims still do this to, to this day. There's, there's a whole hand-washing procedure in Islam too. And it's a big deal. And so there, there's these, there was these laws around all this that if not followed, made you unclean. Meaning, you were unrighteous before God. It, it was a big deal. Big deal. Because, 
And the fact that Jesus wasn't making his disciples do this, Jesus was a rabbi. He was, he was, and they're going, you as a rabbi are not making your disciples do this? Like, and, and that's why the official delegation comes from Jerusalem, because they're upping the stakes of this whole deal. Because this wouldn't have been unclear to Jesus. This would have been a clear, like clear as day expectation um, by, with rabbis. And so what it, what, what this, where this came out of was there was modifications that they called them the tradition of the elders. This is what Jesus, in the beginning of Matthew 15 there, he talks about your traditions. There was this tradition of the elders where they had made a bunch of additional rules and they had made them laws. They were oral laws. They had added to the written law. So to all the food laws, all the ceremonial laws out of Leviticus, they had added all these oral laws that were actually on the same authority as the written law. And so they actually, there, there was the belief, the conviction was that these oral laws had actually originated at Mount Sinai with Moses. There, there was no proof of this, but this was the weight of the conviction that was on rabbis at the time. And see, it used to be that the, this ceremonial hand washing was only required of the priest in the holy place in the temple doing the sacrifices. What had happened is they had extended this now to basically... Um, most of the Jewish population. In fact, from what we know, by uh, AD 70, this was required of pretty much all of Judaism. So, so this tradition of, of the washing of hands. So the fact that Jesus is not making his disciples do this, big, big problem for him. And so they come to him, and Jesus... Again, in, in the brilliant way that he operates, he responds with a counter question here in Matthew 15. And, it, and, and, it's, and his question is a, like, it's not to be missed. It is a direct challenge to the authority of the oral laws and their traditions. So, the fifth commandment. Who knows what the fifth commandment is? Anyone? I don't, ex I, I don't expect you to know this, okay? I actually didn't know this. I don't have my, the commandments in order memorized. But, but the fifth commandment is honor your father and mother. Dun, dun, dun. I'm looking at all the youth. Honor your father and mother. It was a, it's, it's a big deal, right? Now, in their traditions, again, in the tradition of the elders, they had a section about Corbin laws, they called them. And, and Corbin laws, you, what you could do is you could value your property or value your money, all that you had and owned, you could vow it, or, or it's sort of like a pledge, if you will. You pledged it um, to the temple. And so you would say, everything I have is Corbin to the temple. And, and, and these Corbin laws, they overrode the laws of honoring your father and your mother. So if your, your father and mother came into a time of need or where you needed to support your parents, which in that culture was a big part of the culture, right? You supported your, your parents. You could say, oh, everything I have is Corbin, um, so, sorry, mom and dad, um, can't, can't help you. You might really be in need, but everything I've got is Corbin. It, it's all been dedicated to the temple, i.e. it's been dedicated to God, so it's got this holiness factor around it. Here's the kicker. The kicker is you could still use it all like however you want it. So you could say, oh, mom and dad, so what about your new set of sweet wheels? I, I mean, like a donkey. Or what, like, look at these new sweet set of wheels you got. What's going on with that? Oh, it's Corbin. That, so, so Jesus responds to them with this going, sorry guys, like, so your traditions override what is a clear commandment in Scripture about honoring your father and your mother. And Jesus, it's kind of like, again, another one of those hammers where he's coming down going, ah, so what about this? So, Jesus is taking no prisoners here. Like, this is a blatant calling out of hypocrisy. Like, you bunch of stinking hypocrites. That's what he's saying. It's, it is that blatant. And, and then, it's what Jesus says next that cuts to the heart of the matter. Verse 8 and 9. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me, they worship me in vain. 
Their teachings are merely human rules. So Jesus, he's quoting Isaiah 29, 13 there. The Pharisees knew those words. Like, when Jesus is quoting that, it's not like they kind of knew those words. They had memorized all of the Old Testament scriptures. They, 100%, when Jesus starts quoting that, they know exactly where that is. They know exactly where he's going. And it's a, lot, it's a bit of a, whoa, whoa. So, what, whatever the Pharisees believed of themselves, okay, the, the religious teachers, we are righteous before God. We stand on street corners and we pray so that others would see us praying our holy prayers. We, we, we go around in our robes, look at our righteousness. This, this is who we're talking about. Do you think that whatever they thought of themselves, that they thought of themselves like that? That when Jesus is quoting Isaiah 29, then they're going, oh yeah, oh yeah, that, that's, that's me. No, <laughs> right? They're, How dare you, Jesus? How, what? But, but the thing is, Jesus, by saying that, he's, he's insinuating, I mean, clearly insinuating that whatever they think of themselves, you've got a major problem. It's a big problem what's going on in your heart. And so this is where it's not real. The, the issue is around these food laws and the ceremonial washing, but it's really not about that. And what, what Jesus reveals here is that it's about our worship. This is all about worship. So I don't know if maybe you're sometimes like me. You know, you're sometimes you find yourself in a worship service. And again, I'm not saying that this, what we do singing, is, is only worship, right? But, but it's, part of, it's part of worship. And maybe you find yourself during a service and you realize you're singing. You, you realize, you go, oh, I'm, I'm singing, but I'm not really engaged at all. That ever happened to you? Like you realize like, I'm actually just kind of going through the motions here. I'm doing this because I know I should or because this is what I've, this is what I've learned and this is what we do. And then you, but you realize you're going, you, you have this, this, this realization in the moment. I'm, I'm actually like not engaged at all. I don't, that never happens to any of us, right? Or, or you, re, like you realize that your lips are moving but, but your mind is in another place. I mean, this is the brilliant of, brilliance of our minds, right? We can, we can be doing this, but our minds are somewhere else. We're, we're, we're replaying an event. We're, we're rehearsing a response to someone that, that we're upset with, and we're rehearsing it in our mind as we sing. Or, or we're dwelling on someone, something that someone else did to us to upset us. Or we had an interaction. We came into the church, and we had an interaction with someone else and we're rehearsing what happened and we're like and it's bothering us and we're singing we might even have our hands raised but we realize there's this tumultuous stuff in our hearts going on that never happens to any of us right never we come in on a sunday like today and you can't wait you get in the doors and you're like i can't wait to release my worship with maximum heart engagement because of my love and my passion for Jesus. And from the moment that first note hits and Chris is off, we're going. Is that you? All the time? 100%? That, that's just one small aspect of our worship. Right? That's, that's, this is a small aspect. I am not... This is not the be-all, end-all, but it's a small aspect. But, but how are we doing? Do, do we ask ourselves that? How am I doing? Because it is, it is a barometer. On one level, it is a barometer. See, the question is, do, do we ask ourselves probing questions of ourselves when we read and we hear these words spoken here? Or, or do we disassociate ourselves from this? No, this was Jesus speaking to the Pharisees. Or is this the living word of God for me? 
what I, what I do, what I say, what I profess, what I speak, what I sing, does my heart align with my words? Because that's, that's what Jesus is getting at here. Because our entire life is worship. Ultimately, everything we do is oriented towards worship of something or someone because you are created, we are created for worship. We are beings who worship. It's, it's a matter of what we worship. So what's, what's the first and greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your what? Soul and with all your strength. Right? Deuteronomy 6, 5. Heart, soul, strength. You're, you're, you may say, well, you're missing one. Jesus added in mind, by the way. That's a, that's really, it's, really, it's fascinating that before Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, mind wasn't part of that. I was, I was listening to a, a podcast this week um, with Andy Crouch, he was, they were doing an interview with this guy. He's a Christian intellectual guy in the States. He writes a lot about technology and how it intersects with faith. Um, guy's brilliant. I, I just love listening to him. Um, but, but he talks about how we as, as followers of Jesus, or as, sorry, not as, as, as human beings, sorry, so everyone is, we're, we're a heart, soul, mind, strength complex that is designed for love. And so he was talking about how, like, look at Deuteronomy 6.5, which is the Shema, Shema Israel, right? It's, it, that, that is the central text of Jewish life. It still is to this day. That the, and it's the only time when Jesus is asked a question, what is the greatest commandment? It's the only time when Jesus responds that he responds as we would expect him to. As the, the, as when he responded... The first and greatest commandment is all of the Jewish people around him would have been going, yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right, yes, yes. That's exactly what they would have anticipated. And so Jesus is affirming that. And so the idea is that to be a fully formed human being, you need all of that. It, it, and so, yes, they are separable. You know, your, your heart, soul, mind, strength is separable. But and distinguishable, but you cannot isolate them. They, they, all, they all interact. And so our will, our desire, our intuition, uh, we think with our bodies, right? When, when you say, like, I have a gut feeling about this, well, you have a nerve. It's called the vagus nerve that runs from your brainstem. It runs into our guts. So, so that when we talk about having intuition, there, there is actually something to that. God has designed us to have gut intuition. It's built into our bodies. But, but the point is that our whole bodies, we are connected. God designed us like that. We are, and we are designed, first and foremost, you are designed for love. You were designed, first and foremost, for love for God. And out of that flows love for others. And so the question is, how, how do we move toward love? How, how do we move toward love for God and for others? Because we live in a world currently, our world, our, our, the entire way our world is designed, the systems of our world that we are, that are built, we have built, that we live out of right now, they are not designed to push you to love. They are not designed at all to create and to stir in you love for God and love for others. It's one reason why we, we are in a, an absolute mental health crisis. Why? Because we are moving further away from what we are designed as human beings for. We're, we're designed for love and we're designed to love others. And the further we move away from that, yeah, we're having major crises. And so the question is have we forgotten or maybe dismissed even what is to be at the core of our life in God? Cultivating love for God with every part of our being. Heart, soul, mind, strength. That's why our, our mission statements 
is really purposeful in this regard. The, the new mission statement that we are, are wanting to live out of. We're, we're, we're called to love God first. We are called to love God with every fiber of our being. And out of this love flows love for others. And it be, but it begins with God. It begins with God. Love for God. Love for God's ways. And so, words that come out of our mouths, again, going back to what Jesus is saying here, words that come out of our mouths that, that tear down others, that belittle others, that make fun of others, when we do that, we, we are working against the very design of, that God has for us and has for others. We, we are literally tearing away at the fabric, the very fibers of what God has made us to be. This is what, when Jesus says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. It made me think of James 3. James 3, 9 to 12, where, where it says there, with the same mouth we praise God and with the same mouth, we tear down, we slander or curse others who are made in God's likeness. And, and, and the writer of James, he asks, out of the same mouth this comes? He says, brothers and sisters, this should not be. How, how can it be? Right? So this is, your lips are saying one thing, your hearts are here. And the, and, the, and the question that the writer of James asks is, can both fresh and salt water flow from the same spring? Well, the answer is obvious. It's impossible. And so he's saying it's impossible that you could claim to praise God and out of the same mouth comes slander and comes all this other garbage about others. When, when we profess things about God that paint a picture that's not representative of what's happening in our hearts, whether it's to impress others, to save face, to maintain appearances, whether it's maybe out of fear, how, how can we do that? So this, this, is, this is speaking here about living with integrity, living with authenticity, being real. And so if, we, if, we, if we're fostering systems in our lives, if we're fostering systems in the church where we're, we're living with duplicity, where we're, we're, we're one way here, but we're another way here, we're, we're like this here and this here, or we you know, call it compartmentalization, whatever, whatever we want to call it, if we're comfortable with fake or showy faith, Jesus says that is worship, that is in vain, meaning he says it's worthless. Because it just becomes about human rules. It just becomes about human presentation. It just becomes about human, human, human stuff. And we just, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We make it, we look, we make it look good. It looks okay. It, it's got a nice veneer on it. And Jesus is like, but what's going on in the heart? Do, do we want to be honest about where the church in the West is at in this regard? Because I have heard things come out of the church in the last 10 years of being in this area that is shocking. The way that people talk about others, the way that people, it's, it's, it's brothers and sisters, how can it be? And then the question it really gets down to is if we're willing to ask, where are we at? in this regard. Because it's, it's not, I'm not trying to make this about others. I, I'm, I'm being really truthful in that. I, when I've, I have seen and heard and been told things that I go, I cannot believe that somehow we think this is okay to exist within the church and we claim to be followers of Jesus. But then we've got to take it down to the next, well, we don't have to, but the invitation from Jesus is to ask, where are we at in this regard? 
If we desire to love God, if we desire to follow the way of Jesus, if we desire to worship God in truth, then, then do, do we not have to confront those areas in our lives at some point? So what is, what is Jesus affirming here? Well, he's, he's, what he's affirming and, and what, he's, what he's revealing is be sold out in your hearts with authentic worship for God. Be sold out for that. Just, just live with authenticity in your relationship with God wherever you're at. Be real. Worship in spirit and in truth. Right? And that's what Jesus says. My my followers will do this. this. This thing of worshiping with our whole person, heart, soul, mind, strength. So how do, how do we cultivate this love for God? How do we, how do we cultivate this authenticity? How do, we, how do we cultivate living like this in our lives and deepening this worship of God? Well, and this is where we go next. And we, we're gonna talk about the internal not the external. So Jesus, verse 10 after this, says, Jesus called the crowd to him. So he, he has this, just this confrontation with the religious leaders. He's, he just lays it down for them. And then it says, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. Then the disciples came to him and asked, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? <laughs> yeah. He replied, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them. They are blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Isn't it interesting that Jesus calls the crowd to him? and says, listen and understand. It's as if they had, there had obviously been a crowd around that had watched this interaction that he had had with these religious leaders, and Jesus wants to really set the record straight, which is, I find that fascinating because Jesus didn't always do that. There's a lot of things Jesus said, and he just left it, and you had to, he just allowed people to kind of, for it to sit with people. But here, there's something that Jesus really wants to come I don't want you to follow this way. Don't get duped by the blind guides. Listen and understand. So what, why, why is this issue, why does it have such significant impact on our lives? Because Jesus doesn't hear, he doesn't dismiss the intent of the law. He just dismisses the misguided focus of it. It wasn't, he wasn't like, oh, don't, don't worry about all that. Don't, don't worry about that. Yeah, you know, what the, what the Pharisees, don't worry about that. That's not what he does. Actually, he says, here's the real issue. I, I really want to get down to the real issue. Right, because rules and rituals like this that serve to convince people what they, they were doing, every act they were doing, every hand washing, every little thing they were doing was convincing them in every little act that they were gaining favor and standing and righteousness before God. And as we do this, we are making ourselves acceptable. But it was completely disconnected from the heart and from the very means by which we are to love God and love others. And that, that only ends in discouragement because you can never meet the mark or it ends in pride because you come to believe that you are attaining this in yourself. So if we, if we come to believe, embrace, live out of systems, ideologies that tell us that we can make ourselves good, that I can make myself, myself acceptable then we just, we will we'll live for image management, we'll live for behavioral management, we'll live for behavioral modification. Just modify all this, just do it. Say the right things, do the acceptable things in order to get in with the right crowd, in order to look good, in order to gain favor. And so inevitably then, we will embrace compartmentalization, we embrace duplicity, being different people depending on who's around. We present one version here, one version there. 
We do just enough Christian stuff to convince ourselves that we're good with God. And it becomes mostly about the external, and we disregard the internal. And what's really going on in here, and what's really going on in me. And we don't embrace self-awareness or areas within us that are the very opposite of what God calls to be, or we just bury our hurt. We bury all the stuff of how, how we're being affected and how we're affecting others, and we just bury, 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 keep, keep digging, bury it, bury it. Just make sure the veneer is, is, is okay. And that is the very opposite of what God calls us to be. And all that does is, again, it ends in pride or arrogance or disillusionment. It's, it's interesting when Jesus, when he, when he references the Pharisees here to the people, he seems to refer back to the parable of the weeds and the ways that lead to destruction. And he it, it's, it's, it's quite sobering, right? Because he places the Pharisees in that group. And he says at the end, they're going to be pulled up by the roots and what they are is going to be exposed. And they're going to be left to wither and die. You ever, you ever pull up weeds? Like, like sometimes I let weeds in my garden get out of control the odd time. And, uh, and so then I have to go in and I have to really do some serious weed work. And, you know, you pull up a big weed and if you do it, you know, when, it's, when the ground is soft enough and you pull it up and, I mean, what, within an hour, within maybe two, I mean, that, that weed that looked very vibrant is dead and withering. Jesus says here, he says, leave them, they are blind guides. It's sobering because Jesus allows us to go our own way. It's, it's actually his, his freedom, and God's not going to make us do anything. You can have freedom. You, you get to choose how you live. But be aware. Like We can, we can choose whether we're going to follow the way of Jesus or whether we're going to play by our own set of rules. Jesus says, but be aware, there's, there's systems and ideologies in this world and even operating in the church that will lead people away from me. It's the blind leading the blind. And it ends in darkness and destruction. You know, this, this was the issue, right? This was what we read there in that little verse in Hebrews 13 this morning and, and we read about it in Galatians and in other parts of the New Testament where this issue of food and this issue of all the food laws, this became one of the major issues in the early church. This, this was the issue between Jews and Gentiles that almost led to a very early split in the church. And it was, it was the reason for the Jerusalem Council. What are we going to do about these issues between the Jews and the Gentiles? And a lot of it was around laws, law of Moses, food laws, can we eat this, right? This was the thing that Peter had. He had to be given a revelation from God that no, it's okay to eat what you've known is unclean. No, it's okay to eat this now. And so the issue in the early church was, do we have to follow the way of Moses? Like we come to Christ, we, we follow Jesus as Messiah, but there was this group saying, but you still have to follow the law of Moses and all the rules attached to it. And the issue really was law versus grace. Not, not cheap grace, not we just we take the, the grace of God and then we just do whatever we want and we live however we want. No, no, costly grace. Grace that calls us to surrender our lives to Jesus, to see ourselves as crucified with Jesus, to live with faith in Jesus as the Son of God. Denying any form of belief that anything I do can attain my own righteousness. I can't do it. Rather, and this, is, this was one of the things where 
we come to this kind of crux of the issue, and Paul says in Romans 12.1, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So the last thing that Jesus reveals here, we'll read the last five verses, is that we all have a heart condition. So he goes on. Peter comes to Jesus in verse 15 and says, Explain the parable to us. Are you still so dull, Jesus asked them. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person, but eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. So in response to Peter's question for explanation again, Jesus expects, he's like, guys, how, how do you not understand this? Why, why are you still so dull? And that, that literally means in the Greek, are you still without understanding? And, and, and Jesus says, look, regardless of what goes into our mouth or, or how it goes into our mouth, right? Like, like whether or not your hands are per, perfectly clean as a, you know, based on the ceremonial laws, no matter how that food goes into your mouth, there is a process of it that's coming out the other way. We're not going to have a, we're not going to have an object lesson this morning. But it's, it's basic biology, right? It's basic biology. What happens, food that goes in the mouth, there's a process for it. And Jesus is like, this is not... It's not about that. But he does say, if external purity matters so much, if you're willing to go to this level to have external purity, then how can internal purity not matter exponentially that much more? What is happening in our internal worlds matters. And the Bible speaks of this in terms of our hearts. Right? And, and the Bible says, you've got a heart condition. We all have a heart condition. Jesus says, out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, lies, slander. Okay, I, I was reading this this week and I was like, wait. Jesus says, out of the heart come evil thoughts. But he, then he lists, everything he lists there are actions. Those aren't thoughts. Those are things that we do. But he says thoughts. See, he's getting back to Matthew 5. He's getting back to what he previously said, and he dives into these areas. In, in Matthew 5, when Jesus talks about murder, he equates anger, he equates swearing at someone, he equates slandering others as coming from the same place in your heart that ends in murder. Jesus says that looking at a woman with lustful thoughts comes from the same place that ends in adultery. It's, it's the underlying issues are that there's, if there's attitudes and thoughts that are not checked, they lead to outward acts. So Jesus, he mentions sexual immorality here. Well, Matthew 5.32 talks about sexual immorality being the reason for Divorce, that was the one, the one thing. If there, was, if there was sexual immorality in a relationship, okay, that was reasons for divorce. So sexual immorality in a biblical term is anything, any sexual activity outside of the marriage union is sexual immorality. And like adultery, it's, yes, it is about the action, but it's not just about the action. It's about what's going on deeper. Where does the root reside? So James 1, 13 to 15 talks about this. It's, there's, there's, when we have temptation, so, and it, when we're, meaning when we're enticed by these evil desires, it says there in James, desire is conceived, 
And that desire, as it's conceived, it's, it's this picture, right, of, of birth. That this desire is conceived, and when it's allowed to grow, it gives birth to sin. And sin, unchecked, like the growing process, gives birth to death. So there's this progression that happens. What is, what is happening inside of us, which no one may know about for months, for years, for decades, stuff can be going on in someone's heart. No one knows. The veneer's okay. The veneer looks okay. Eventually, it comes out. This notion of when we hear something, I can't believe that. I can't believe that happened. I can't believe that leader did that. That doesn't just happen one day. Our, our thought life, what Jesus says, originates in our hearts or our late night internet surfing has serious effects on us for righteousness or for sin. Any, anyone uh, here know of or like Funko Pop characters? Any of you guys know? What, who knows what Funko Pop characters are? <laughs> Funko Pop? They're, okay, they're, they're the, the, the little things in stores. They have, like, there's, there's like hundreds of them, probably thousands of them, of, of all sorts of manner of characters that you can buy. They have the big heads. You ever seen those? The little, little bodies, and they're really popular out there? No? Okay. No one's, no one's, look up, go Google Funko Pop characters. I know some of you know what they are. I know the youth here know what they are. So, I, I've got one actually in my office. If anyone wants, I should have brought it up. I have a little Patrick Liney Funko Pop, but we don't talk about Patrick Liney anymore. Traitor. Um... <laughs> No, anyways, we're getting off topic. In, in his book, uh, James K.A. Smith, in his book, You Are What You Love, he, he notes that our culture sees us like that, that our culture sees us like fun, Funko Pop characters. You're like a Funko Pop, where you've got this big head and this small body, and you're like brains on a stick. That, that's how our culture, we think about things now. It's, it's all about our intellect, what you think, what you know. It's all about accumulation of knowledge. So you got this picture now of all of us walking around, little stick legs and massive heads, brain on a stick, right? But the Bible presents a very different view of us than that. Scripture talks about the heart, and, and, and Smith, he makes this point about this, about our hearts. He says, it is our love, lo our loves, that orientate us towards some ultimate end. It's not just that I know or believe in some end. More than that, I long for some end. I want something and want it ultimately. It is my desires that define me. In short, you are what you love. I think we can identify with that, right? That we know that, that ultimately we are made for love. That, that love is what defines us. It's, it's that desire that defines us. Whatever ultimately drives our desire, that is ultimately what we will live for. If, if we live for our families more than we live for God, that will end up defining us. If we live for fill in the blank more than God, that will define us. What, whatever it is, we are made for love. But as a result of sin, and this is where it gets complicated, our first inclination is not love for God and love for others. Our first inclination is, it's all about me. It's all about self. I want love for self. What serves me? What drives my pleasure? What drives my enjoyment? What can I do to come to a place that whatever it is, I feel fulfilled in myself? So here's the problem with our heart condition. There, there is no treatment 
There isn't a go get a prescription, take this, then you'll be good. The only solution is surgery. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. We need a new heart. That's really what the gospel tells us. You need a new heart. I need a new heart. Ezekiel 36, that, this is the, the prophetic word that God gives through Ezekiel that's going to come. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will take out the heart of stone and I'll give you a heart of flesh. Romans 2, Paul says circumcision is circumc circumcision of the heart by the spirit. It's not, not about the external law. It's not about what you do to make yourselves acceptable. It's about the heart. It's about the work of the Spirit. It's where Jesus is having the conversation with Nicodemus in John 3 and says, you must be born again of the Spirit. It is a work of the Spirit. This is the thing. This is, and this is the thing with every message. This is the thing with every, everything I preach. This is the thing with every, every message you listen to. It's, it's, it's about all of it. it it's not about the accumulation of knowledge. It's not about going away and going, oh man, I know a little bit more about Corbin laws. Oh, I know a little bit more about the hand washing and what, what Judaism taught about that. And I know a little bit about how Jesus, it's not about that. It's not even actually really, to, like if we get all focused and oh, I'm learning more about historical Jesus and I feel that I'm actually growing in my knowledge. Okay, that can be helpful. It's not about knowing the right verses. It's not about in the moment going, oh, I can quote this verse, and I can quote this verse, and I can, oh, I can bring up this verse, and I can apply this verse. To... It's not even about that. It's about this. It's about heart work. It's about willing to deal with the junk and the mess and the garbage that resides in us and inviting the work of Jesus through his spirit to heal us. That is what this is about. This is not about just growing and becoming brains on a stick. And this is the thing. This, this process that we have to walk through is going to be just as invasive as open heart surgery. I think the picture of physical open heart surgery is a phenomenal, phenomenal picture of what we have to go through spiritually in order to be renewed and to be to have transformation in our lives. It's a massive process, right? When you have open heart surgery, it's a big, big deal. But there is no other alternative. There is no cure. There is no, well, take this and do this, and then it's surgery. So how, how do we respond to Jesus? How do we respond to the living word? Are, are we offended with these words? Are we offended with what Jesus says here? Because it does hit us in our hearts. Are we without understanding? Or are we embracing these words and going, no, this is, this is God's word for my life. These are the very words of life that I need to hear to receive healing and to live into this healing in my life. We're made for God. I think, I think that's one of the, the underlying things, again, and, and because it... it, it it, it runs through, the thread runs through all of Matthew and it runs through the Gospels where, where Jesus is, is coming to reveal the heart of the Father. I know and I've said this, but I want to keep harping on this again and again so that we, we, we get it, church. We get it. Like, do you get that the heart of the Father is you are made for God? That Jesus came to reveal the heart of the Father for us going, you are made to walk and to be in communion with the Father. 
This is the very reason I've come. Our whole purpose, our whole person is made for relationship and communion with God. Body, soul, mind, strength, every part of you. To live in a state of openness and authenticity, that is healing our union with God. That is breaking the power of sin, breaking the, ball, the walls, the barriers, all that junk in here that we have accumulated that is separating us from the Father heart of God. And Jesus is saying, come, 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 come. I want you to know the Father heart of God. And I'm willing to say really tough stuff to the religious leaders that are putting up all these things around you that are keeping you from relationship with God. Don't believe the lies. I think that that's underlying so much of what Jesus is doing here. What's going on? Chris, if you want to come up. Anna. You know, we, we may very well, I think if we're willing to get our, allow ourselves to go to that place, I think we can very much be at a place out of this going, I need the ministry of Jesus in my life. How, how, do, we, how do we respond to this? And I, and I think that there is, if, we're, if, we're allow, if we allow ourselves to go there to go, what are the things in me what are the things that I wrestle with? What are, the, what are the lies that I struggle with? What are the things that Satan constantly tries to keep bombarding me with? What are the things in me that I am dealing with on a weekly basis that I really need Jesus to come and minister to me? So that I'm not disconnecting my heart from the rest of my life. So I want to... I want to just invite us into that this morning. As, as, we, as we worship here and as we end, I want to invite you to just allow Jesus, invite him in to minister to you. Allow yourself to, to enter into that space of going, wherever you're at going, Jesus, I, I really, I want to know the heart of the Father. Jesus, I'm so thankful for how you you love us to such a depth, Jesus. You love us to such a depth that is, is hard for us to even fathom. We can't know the depth of it. Thank you, Jesus, that you were not willing to stay silent that you said the things that are the very words of life for us, and you said the things that cuts through all of our defenses, all of our walls, and you invite us into life. And Jesus, I ask that you would help us here today, now, but as we go on this week, that you would allow us to have you minister to us. Holy Spirit, we invite you into this place. Would you minister to us?